Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about working with professionals to show them how to use social media as a tool to promote themselves and their businesses. And, you know, as is more often the case now than not, we're not really going to talk about social media, but I'm sure we'll be able to toss it in there somehow because we're going to be talking about business and, you know, some very cool and very fascinating business tools and some new products that are out there and how to succeed in business and no, just all this good stuff. So please join me in welcoming my guest today, Mitch Russo. So welcome, Mitch. How are you doing today? Awesome, Deb. Thanks so much for inviting me on the show. I'm really looking forward to it. Great. Well, as as I said, we're going to be talking about a lot of different stuff, and I was having so much fun reading your bio and reading everything about you. But because not everybody knows about you, let me go ahead and, and give people your bio. Of course. So Mitch co-founded Time Slips Corp., which grew to become the largest time-tracking software company in the world before it was sold to Sage PLC in 1998. Then Mitch went on to join longtime friend Chet Holmes as president, then later to join forces with Tony Robbins and together create Business Breakthroughs International with nearly 300 staff and about uh, $25 million in sales. In 2015, Mitch published his number one Amazon bestseller, The Invisible Organization, which is the CEO's guide to creating a fully virtual organization. Now Mitch is building certification and licensing programs which companies use to generate insane profits while expanding their sales at www.powertribes.net. So again, Mitch, welcome. Thank you so much. Great. Well, you know, as I said, you have done so many fascinating things, but let's go back to maybe the very beginning when you founded a rock band. So tell us about that. And then later on, we'll delve into the lessons that you learned that pertain to business. But that just sounds so cool. So tell us about the rock well, band. Sure. I mean, we were just about uh, 15 year old. We were kids in high school and I was mm -hmm. probably one of the shyest kids I knew. And I, you know, I was not really much of a jock, so I didn't uh, have the, I wasn't as popular as the other kids. Okay. Uh, and so, you know, I stayed a lot to myself. My hobbies were things like, you know, electronics. And, and again, mm -hmm. that's, you know, probably not what the popular kids play around with. <laughs> but uh, Well, 10 years ago, probably not. Now, hmm, the cool kids do that. That's right. But... That's right. Now the cool kids do it. But back then, that was my thing. And... Mm -hmm. I took an interest in guitar when I was about 12 years old and I, I really practiced a lot until finally when I was about 15 years old, I decided that I was ready to start a band and, okay. and it was just so much fun having a band in high school and it really changed my social life a lot. What's, oh, I bet. can you imagine? <laughs> uh, you were the cool kid. Then. Right. I finally converted from, from the, uh, the kid who no one ever heard of to all of a sudden having like one of the best bands in, in high school. Mm -hmm. So, but it didn't get that way quickly or automatically. Right. It actually took a lot of work to get to that point. Mm -hmm. So I could tell you about that if you like. Yes. Yes. You know, because 
As we said, it actually pertains to business, the lessons that you learned. So we really want to delve into that. But, you know, I, for those who are closet rock band people or, you know, anything like that, you really did learn a lot from it, both from a, a rock band perspective and from a true business perspective. So tell us more about that. Well, sure. So the thing about it is that, you know, when we first got together, it was just fun to play. And mm -hmm. and we would just play and play and play and have fun. But we didn't really have much discipline and we didn't really do very well when it came to playing songs because the, we were so undisciplined that we weren't really willing to practice. Right. So one of the first things I had to do <laughs> was I have to make sure that nobody would get high during band, band practice. A rock band? Can you imagine no. that? No. <laughs> so that was the rule. So mm -hmm. so I, I realized that, and people said, oh, no, it sounds great when we're high. And I said, well, let's record it and find out. So Yeah, in our head? Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. So we turned on the tape recorder, and we, we just jammed for a little while. And then afterwards, we turned it back on and played it. And they said, and everyone agreed, oh, that stinks. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, so we decided to get disciplined. And, and you know what? We got disciplined. And mm -hmm. once we got disciplined, we then decided that we were going to literally pick individual songs and practice them over and over again until they became really, really smooth and perfect. Okay. So, you know, that's kind of what happened for us. And, and when we did that, we were able to put together a a, a playlist, a set mm -hmm. of about 12 to 14 songs that we really, really did super well. Okay. And that's when we started getting gigs. Mm -hmm. And we would go out to parties and we would do Sweet Sixteens. We would do uh, uh, sorority fraternity dances. And once in a while, people would come up to us and say, hey, do you know any of these songs? And they were more like dance music than the classic mm -hmm. rock that we were playing. Right. So we said, uh, well, no, but it gave us the idea that maybe we should learn some of them. Okay. And, uh, and, we, and we kind of did, and, you know, it wasn't that great. And, and so we discovered really that the true answer is, do you know some of those dance tunes? And we would say, no, we just play classic rock. Right. <laughs> because really. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're not going to ask, you know, you know, Sting or somebody like that. Hey, can you play what the Bee Gees play? That's right. I mean, you know, that's there's two very different venues. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, as we started to get more popular, um, other people started to ask us if we would play at their daughter's party or at their <laughs> company's party. And 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 this was starting to to really work for us. Um so what I decided to do was I decided to ask people if they wouldn't mind writing a quick testimonial for us and saying how well we did so that we could put it in right. a notebook, mm -hmm. you know, and show our binder when people were interviewing us. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and of course, that works so well, especially with parents, because, you know, the Smiths really do want to keep up with the Joneses. Right. And so, you know, they if, if the Smiths said you were absolutely fabulous, the Joneses are like, oh, well, then we must have you, too. Exactly. Exactly. And so the more we did this, you know, the more popular we became. And then I realized that, you know, I could put up some flyers in the supermarket and and um, that was starting to work. And then one day, I actually noticed that the local newspaper in Brooklyn, where we lived, had a mm -hmm. section for coming events. Ah. And I thought, you know, my 16-year-old mind said, well, what the heck? Why don't I just write them a letter and tell them that, right. you know, we're playing the Battle of the Bands at the 
uh, John Dewey High School and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, they printed it. Oh, <laughs> holy cow. I know. And, and the funny thing about it was, is that all of this was sort of done somewhat intuitively. I watched my dad. He was in the candy business and he was opening stores all throughout Manhattan. And, mm -hmm. and I, I learned these lessons, but it wasn't until years later that I actually distilled them down into the actual lessons that I learned. Right. So if you like, I can go through them with you because they're a lot of fun. Let's do. And for those of you following along at home, it's on MitchRusso.com slash rock hyphen band hyphen CEO. Exactly. That's where I wrote about it. So lesson one is to be disciplined with yourself and with your team, even if they don't like it. Remember, they wanted to right. get high. Yeah, they wanted to be high. <laughs> they wanted to be 15-year-old boys. Exactly. But in the end, it will pay off big time and the team will respect you for it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was so funny because when I formulated these lessons, uh, this was decades later. I realized that so much of this was ingrained in me during the years of building my rock band. Right. right. So lesson two is don't deliver a substandard product. While it's mm -hmm. been said that the price of perfection is bankruptcy, I believe you can come very close to perfect, generating enormous pride and deliver incredible value by going the extra mile. Perfection mm -hmm. isn't really required, but supreme excellence is. Right. You know, and, and the amazing thing now is that in today's culture, we kind of expect average. That's right. You know, it's like, eh, you know, oh, that that's close. It'll 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 work, or we can make it work. So when you're providing a product that's even better than that, you truly stand out from the crowd. So true. So true. So in lesson three, I'm going to quote one of my famous American philosophers, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Colonel Sanders himself. Mm -hmm. And you know what Colonel Sanders used to say at the end of every commercial? And it was only four words. He used to say, we do chicken right. Right. So what this meant to me is this individual, this Colonel Sanders guy, got early on that if you focus on the one thing you want to do the best, mm -hmm. then you are going to have the best of those things. So they right. didn't sell hot dogs. They don't sell pizza. They sell chicken. Mm -hmm. and, and that's that focus really for us became our passion play. Right. Well, and you look at businesses that are struggling now and they try to be everything to everyone, you know, whether it's a product or a service, it's, you know, how they'll have somebody, you know, you mentioned that they, people would say, can you play dance music? You know, so we all have that happen in business. Well, could you do, you know, I, mm -hmm. I'm a, a public speaker and I have people and I, and I speak specifically about social media, but they will say, can you talk about Instagram? Well, I'm not an Instagram expert. And so rather than, you know, either giving a substandard product or having to learn a whole bunch real fast, I do exactly what you did. No, I don't. Yep. You know, I focus on this. Now, typically I might be able to say, here's someone who could help you because then, you know, it's kind of a win-win. Everybody goes away happy. But, you know, the second we start diversifying too much, then we really do become the company, the business, you know, the, the solopreneur that does nothing well. So true. That is so true. And, you know, that leads into lesson number four. And mm -hmm. that's honestly assess your true worth and then begin figuring out what your actual prices can be for your services. Right. And, you know, when we first started, we charged $50 to show up mm -hmm. and play. But mm -hmm. by the time we were really out there a year later, we were actually charging $500 a night. Wow. And if you think about it, that's four 16-year-old kids in high school getting 500 bucks 
during mm-hmm. the 1970s. Oh, you were rich. Yeah, we were. And and it was that money that allowed us to go and get some new equipment mm-hmm. and up, upgrade some of our, you know, mm-hmm. our stuff. So, right. but we wouldn't have known until we had figured out how to raise price, prices very slowly and then mm-hmm. add more value. And we never stopped experimenting until we found the optimum price for our market. Right. Well, and, and of course, that is the a very hard thing for businesses to do is to figure out what that price point is. You know, and, and typically what happens is what, you know, what happens with every business is you start off doing it for free or for a very low amount. And then you kind of feel guilty when you raise your price, you know, or, or you don't. I mean, how many businesses have we seen that never raised their price because they didn't, you know, they felt loyal to their customers. Okay, well, there's that. But they also never did what you suggest. They never checked to see what the market could bear. That's right. And, you know, and, and I worked many years ago for an ad agency and we never set our prices. You know, you wouldn't go to our website and see our hourly rate or, you know, whatever, because the the philosophy was to charge what the market would bear. You know, if we were working for, say, a medical group, that was a very different price point than if we were working for a nonprofit. And, you know, and, and because now the nonprofit rate might have been kind of our break even, but if you charge too uh, little amount for kind of those premium type of things, then they don't see the value in it. You're absolutely right. And, and again, you know, it's it's not just having the right price. It's delivering mm-hmm. that level of value that people feel right. satisfied that they've mm-hmm. paid a fair amount for. So mm-hmm. it all... Well, and- and you mentioned adding more value. Yep. You know, how did you determine, especially, you know, as, as 15, 16-year-old rock band, what was that added value? A lot of the times, for example, people would say, well, we're hiring you for two hours. Okay. And so we would never, ever play for just the amount of time we were hired. We okay. were always going to add another half hour or 45 minutes or even another hour. Mm-hmm. And usually in this case of a party, the parents were thrilled, you know. Right. And and in many cases, besides the $500 we charged, we'd even get tips. Oh. <laughs> so it was well, terrific. We had a lot of perfect, fun. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. And you were doing it in a way that you weren't being taken advantage that's of. That's right. You know, because that's the other thing is people say, well, if I add value, I'm, I'm giving it away for free. And it's like, ah, no, not so much. I mean, it, there obviously is that problem. Of course. But you knew that by providing that little extra value – it would definitely pay off in the long run. Exactly. And it also opened up the next conversation for us to have, which is, hey, if you like the way we played, would you mind writing a quick note? Mm-hmm. And I would hand them a clipboard and a pencil uh-huh. on the spot. Uh-huh. And most of the time, it was I'd never do it to the dad, but always to the mom. And of course. mom would go off and sit in the kitchen and, mm-hmm. and write a very nice letter And, and usually that, you know, would help us get the next job. So that's my lesson five, which is to get a testimonial after every service or product delivered. Mm -hmm. And and this way you always have fresh testimonials and you always have people who are praising you. And after a while, you know, the, I think the most powerful way of selling anything is through testimonials. Right. You know, word of mouth marketing and testimonials is, is definitely the way to go. And so if you have a lot of nice people saying great things about you, it makes it very easy for someone else to make that buying decision. Mm-hmm. So again, I mean, I'm going to bring social media in here. No, mm-hmm. sure. See, I told you I'd do that. Sure. Recommendations on LinkedIn. Yep. You know, I always have people ask me, oh, "Really, is there any value?" And I tell them most definitely. And there's and and that's one of the places where quantity 
is good because you know say i'm looking at two different profiles and you know bob has five recommendations and susie has 25. i might not even read all of susie's 25 25 recommendations but she's immediately got a leg up on bob just because she has more exactly i so agree with that and that's why we were and by the way that was uh something that was automatic for us we didn't mm -hmm. say oh should we or shouldn't we just did it every time right well, and then you were comfortable with it. And I think that's probably one of the other things that people have a problem with is going to someone and saying, hey, would you give me a testimonial? That's where it is easier on social media because, you know, it just fires off the little request. But, you know, actually asking them in person or on the phone or via a, an email, some people are very uncomfortable with that. And I love the fact that you just make it standard practice. Exactly. And by the way, remember now, we weren't overthinking this. We were 16 years old. We were just doing what we figured worked. Later, mm -hmm. years later, you know, we turned it into a lesson and that was how to, and now, you know, you're, that's your job. I mean, you're a professional at helping people do this. So, I mean, we were just lucky to have stumbled across these things and just kept doing mm -hmm. them. Right. Well, and, and it's definitely a lesson that we should be learning that, you know, as 15, 16 year old boys, you didn't think twice about doing it. When we're 30 and 40 and 50-year-olds, that's when we overthink that process. So true. So true. Well, the next thing that we did, of course, was, and I already mentioned it earlier, which was spreading the word. I mean, mm -hmm. we found it kind of fun to walk around and put posters up. And, and then when I discovered the magic of, of free publicity by sending a note to the local newspaper, oh, my goodness, I couldn't stop doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so lesson six is spread the word. Right. I mean, that's all. It's so easy to do. I mean, if you get a testimonial, there's from lesson five, then go lesson six, go spread the word, go tell people mm -hmm. about it. Right. You know? you know, and, and of course you can do that on a Facebook post, on your blog. You know, you, you mentioned blogging, putting it on your website, all of those various things, you know, and they wouldn't have given you the testimonial if they didn't want it used. Exactly. I mean, you know, that there's, there's that. And, you know, I think so many businesses nowadays are, you know, there's the, the catch between being the used car salesman and, you know, doing self-promotion in a positive way. Absolutely. And, and again, that's where testimonials are so cool because you're not saying, I'm the greatest thing in the world. You're saying, hey, you know what? Bob thought that we were pretty cool. That's right. Absolutely. And, and so the funny thing is, is that if you do all this stuff, guess what? It all becomes a lot of fun. Right. And that's, and that's of course the most important lesson. Yeah, exactly. That's my last lesson is you gotta, you gotta have fun. I mean, life's too short to, to struggle and struggle and struggle and not enjoy it. It's just not worth it. Right. Right. Well, and clearly there were times that weren't fun. You know, when you were practicing a song over and over and over, yeah. you know, that's not fun, yeah. but you know, it led to fun. And I think maybe that is kind of where people get lost is is they think, well, you know, this is drudgery. And unfortunately, there is. You know, there's there's a lot of hard work that goes into this. And we're not saying that there isn't. But, you know, if, if you really are always thinking, ugh, it's Monday, <laughs> I have to go to work, and oh, it's Friday afternoon, something's wrong. Yep. so true, so true. Well, that's the story of the rock band, and that's kind of what built... And, you know, you take those things forward uh, at, at the age of 16... And they become mm -hmm. pretty integrated in just about everything you do. And they did for me. Right. Mm -hmm. So how long, just out of curiosity, how long did the band last? Uh, the band lasted several years. It lasted until um, basically uh, we had 
pretty much got done with high school and moved on to other things. Mm-hmm. But um, we had so much fun with it. I mean, the real purpose of the rock band was to meet girls. That was why. Oh, of course. I mean, you were 15 and 16-year-old boys. Exactly. So if, if there was a scheme where we can concoct to meet girls, we'll, we'll do it. And, of course, then, mm-hmm. of course, we loved playing, too. I and mean, we totally loved playing. And, you know, later I remember some of my peak experiences is being on stage with hundreds and hundreds of people in the audience. Wow. So that was fun. Yeah. You know, and, and the nice thing is you had fun. You hopefully saved some money. Yes. Um, but then then you trans you learned all of these lessons to transition into business. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what happened. So what was the next business that you started? Well, you know, it, it was funny because I went to school obviously and I and I went to uh Northeastern University for electrical engineering and mm-hmm. and I really didn't start a business again. Um, until the 1980s when I okay. started to buy real estate in Boston. Ah. And, and that wasn't a very long-lived career for me because although it was lucrative, I hated mm-hmm. it. Ah. I, so you, you broke Lesson 7. You did not have I fun. I did not have fun. That's right. So I, I did make some money doing it. At the time, it was easy to make money. And I then left and started my software company, Time Slips Corporation. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that... I founded that company in 1985 mm-hmm. and I literally started with with just $5,000. My partner and I put $5,000 into the bank mm-hmm. and we worked above my garage in my house, which was next door to his house. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it was a very simple startup, but I was lucky because I picked a brilliant partner Ah, and he was a genius programmer. And mm-hmm. we created an amazing product that actually came about by mistake. Oh. So here's how that happened. Uh, mm-hmm. We were sitting around one day and I was, I was in the, at, at the time I was selling semiconductors and I had to manage my, my sales portfolio. So I bought a personal computer okay. and then I went to deduct the cost of this ridiculously priced personal computer on my tax return as a business deduction. And my accountant said, sorry. The IRS doesn't allow you to deduct a computer unless you keep, and get this word now, contemporaneous records of its use. That sounds like an IRS word. Right? Mm -hmm. So I figured out what that word meant, and I went back and figured, told my partner that unless I'm keeping track of every minute I'm spending on this damn computer, I am Mm -hmm. never going to be able to deduct it from my taxes. Right. I wish I had a piece of software that would do that. So I'm on the computer anyway, and I searched mm-hmm. and I searched and I couldn't find one. And I told him about it. And he said, well, I can do that. And, oh, okay. And mm-hmm. yeah, and he did. And I saw it and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. So I quit my job and he quit his. Ooh. And we built the software on the side while we were still working. And then finally when it was done, we quit. And mm-hmm. we were about to start marketing it when the other shoe dropped. Uh-oh. The IRS announced that they were relaxing their ruling oh. on contemporaneous record keeping. Oh, no. <laughs> and you're thinking, uh, that's just what we built our business around. Yes. So, boom, we were shot in the head out of business. But what was interesting about it is that our attitude is what saved us. Mm-hmm. So we, we sat there and we, we allowed ourselves to be miserable for about 15 minutes. Right. And then we said, well, where else could time tracking be useful? 
and we said, hmm, what about lawyers? Right. I was just thinking attorneys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so we said, well, okay. And then, you know, of course there's no internet back then. So I right. said, well, look, let's do some research. I know a couple of lawyers. Uh, I can go to the Boston university library and it's free to check out uh, nice software and software manuals. So we did that. And about mm-hmm. within 48 hours, we had decided that we were going to turn our little tool into a time tracking and billing system for lawyers. Nice. So so Neil, my partner, had written a billing system for hairdressers mm-hmm. <laughs> earlier. And, right. and he said, oh, sure, I can write it for lawyers. I wrote it for hairdressers. Mm-hmm. Same, Same thing. thing. Keeping track right. of time. And, and on top of that, we were, we were pretty clever in that we were able to um, get on CompuServe into the legal uh, special interest groups on CompuServe at the time. Mm-hmm. And ask lawyers what they wanted. Ah. And that worked out to be a fantastic idea. Mm-hmm. So we went on and we figured out exactly what lawyers wanted. And then we released the product as time slips. Okay. And now what started to happen was, and remember now we're, we're entrepreneurs and we're not very well educated in business. So we don't know a whole lot about where to start, but I figured right. we had lots of energy and mm-hmm. uh, we were determined to be successful. So we were going to go to the next big legal trade show in New York City. And of course, when we realized what it cost to do that, we were a little concerned because <laughs> <laughs> you know it was going to be very expensive. So I'll tell mm-hmm. you a quick story about how family intervened sometimes. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, my mom calls me up. It was We're about six weeks into this whole process. And my mom says, hi, honey, how are you doing? I said, oh, great, mom, how are you? And she goes, no, really, how are you doing? I said, truthfully, <laughs> we're probably... Ah, she was being mom. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're probably two weeks from going out of business here because we can't sell any of the software and we don't have a lot more money left. And she mm-hmm. said to me, oh, don't worry, don't worry, sweetheart. Everything will work out just fine. Mm-hmm. And she hung up. So now we're looking at this trade show saying, you know, we really got to go. This is really our market. We really got to right. be there. Uh, so we're thinking of how can we possibly do this? And the mm-hmm. next day, a Federal Express truck pulls up to my house. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if you can remember back. You're probably not that old. Back in 1985, a Federal Express truck coming to your house. Oh, it was a big deal. Right. So all of a sudden, this guy knocks on my door with a little cap on, and I, I sign his clipboard, and he hands me this envelope. And I pull the zip up on the envelope, and I look inside, and there's $10,000 in <gasps> cash from my mom. Oh. And a note that says, hope this helps. Oh. Love you, mom. Uh-huh. So, so absolutely, we took that $10,000. We got ourselves to New York. We had an amazing show at Legal Tech. We got written mm-hmm. about. We got press all over the legal industry. And it launched the company. Right. So, so just, to, just to fast forward to the end of that story, um, nine years later, when we had negotiated the sale of the company for over $10 million, my partner came to me and said, hey, remember that envelope your mom sent us? We should repay her. And I, I said, <laughs> yeah, it'd be great. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I said, Neil, how much do you think we should send her? Right. Neil, She's got a little interest coming. A little bit of interest coming. So Neil has this thought and he goes, hmm. How about we send her a hundred? And I said, that's good. Dollars? A hundred thousand dollars. 
Oh, holy cow. Mom was happy camper. She was. She was. She was. And we were mm-hmm. thrilled to send it to her. I mean, it was right. it was so incredible. So the thing about that business, though, it was very interesting because, again, I go back to the lessons that I learned as a ro- in a rock band. I mean, mm-hmm. the first actual employee we hired besides office help was a PR person ah. because we realized the value of public relations. I realized mm-hmm. it from my days putting up posters in grocery stores. Right. right. So we hired a PR person and all we, and we knew it was going to take some time. Mm-hmm. And so what we did is we basically got them started on getting to build relationships with all of the writers and all of the tech publications and all of the legal publications. Right. And this turned out to be the gold mine that we had never, ever realized was going to be such a, a, a rich, a rich experience for us. Mm-hmm. So, so on top of that, I went to a, a trade show called Comdex, which is all about the computer trade. Mm-hmm. And I spent 10 days walking all over Comdex, and it's just 2 million square feet of the exhibit space. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think it was possible, but I actually wore out a pair of shoes in 10 days. Oh. I didn't think it could, it could be done. Mm-hmm. But in that, in that process, I actually dropped a review copy of my software. I mean, I gave away hundreds of review copies. Mm-hmm. One of them mm-hmm. I didn't realize was to one of the senior editors at InfoWorld magazine. Oh, so all of a sudden now, I mean, you know, we're we're selling software two or three or five a week at ninety nine dollars a copy. And -hmm. we're pretty happy, by the way. I mean, you know, three, four hundred dollars are working out of the garage. We don't have a lot of expenses except our little PR lady who's Mm -hmm. who's, uh, you know, pay. I think we were paying her maybe four hundred dollars a week at the time. So, I mean, we were fine. We were doing pretty well. And then all of a sudden. Uh, one, one morning and I, you know, the, the, the business was in the house and I was sleeping all of a sudden the phone starts ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing. And I go downstairs and I pick up the phone and someone says, I'd like to place an order for time slips. I said, who is this? How'd you find out about Mm us? Right. Well, it turns out that InfoWorld had written a review of our software. (gasps) Holy cow. And let me tell you, it's amazing to think about this because the danger of that InfoWorld has the power to destroy a company right. with even faint praise. Mm-hmm. So if it's not a great review, you could just about shut down. Right. But in our case, what we would end up happening to us is that we got this amazing review and mm-hmm. all of a sudden we got calls from major retailers and office chains and we were on the map. Mm-hmm. So within 18 months... We had gone from selling two or three copies a week to two or three thousand copies a month. Wow. So it was an unbelievable experience for us. And mm-hmm. we had a lot of fun doing it. Oh, I bet. You know, and and what I loved is, you know, when, when you were initially developing this, you asked potential clients what they wanted. That's right. You know, and and I mean you knew you had a great product, which is where, you know, we, we all start, but then we think you know, we as in the business world, ooh, it's so great. We're just going to put it out there. And we don't realize that maybe it needs different bells and whistles than what we thought were really important. That's so true. And it wasn't it, those initial conferences and those interviews that we did on, on CompuServe, which turned into lifelong friendships, by the way. It's so mm-hmm. funny. You know, later, as the company grew, we were running out of ways to support our customers and by accident, I had discovered this technique of building certification programs. Uh-huh. So 
it turns out we had a customer and we, we were very customer centric and we loved our customers and we would do anything for them. We didn't care if they paid $99 or not. I mean, uh, we had a woman call up from California and, uh, she was livid, said our software crashed her computer. And, yeah. and she said, you better get out here right away. And on top of that, uh, I found out that she was also on the, on the board of the Los Angeles Bar Association, and she, oh. she was the technology committee chairperson. Oh! So I said, you know what? We got to figure this out. Yeah, we'll be we'll there. We'll be there. We'll figure it out. So mm -hmm. I had this thought. I had this idea that maybe I would call another client in the Los Angeles area who I knew was very sh savvy with our software. Mm -hmm. And I called her up and I said, would you mind doing me a favor and going out and paying a visit and helping this this other woman out, and she said, mm -hmm. "You, Mitch, I'd love to." <laughs> mm -hmm. I had a she was a big fan, and and I was on pins and needles that whole day waiting to find out what was right. going to happen. Right. And finally, I get the phone call, and and she says, "Oh, I just want to let you know everything went great. I mm -hmm. I fixed the. Uh, turns out to be that she installed it wrong. Everything is of fine." And then the magic words that changed my life came out. She said. And she gave me a hundred dollar bill. And I said, I'm so happy for you. And she said, then she said, if you know anybody else who would like my help, please let me know. And you went, of course. And I did. Mm -hmm. And that became the genesis of our own certified consultant program. Right. Well, and, and tell us more about that because that's very interesting. So it's around power tribes. So tell us more about that. First, tell us how they can find it and then tell more about that. Sure. Well, the best way to find us is on the web, of course, and that's powertribes.net. Okay. And that's where you could read about what I do and even listen to some of my clients tell the story of how it changed their company. Mm -hmm. But the, the way it kind of happened sort of led me to a place where I almost crashed the company. Mm -hmm. See, what happened was that we basically had the idea that if, if we could just find a way to test a bunch of people and find out whether or not they're really good at our software, then we mm -hmm. could certify them and they can go off and we can send them clients. Okay. Well, it turns out it's not that simple. Oh. And as a result, what ended up happening is that about we ended up certifying about 40 people or 60 people and mm -hmm. they ended up messing up a lot of our clients. Ooh. I mean, and on top of that, I mean, truthfully, Deb, you'd think people would have enough common sense to to dress like a professional if you're going to walk into another lawyer's office mm -hmm. or you think that you might want to brush your teeth or you might not want to. Oh, you dear. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. so these are things that we didn't possibly anticipate as problems, mm -hmm. but they were. So mm -hmm. about about four months into the program, I started to get complaints and they were starting to scare me. And so I had to shut down the program. And I then personally called every single person who had a uh, time slips experience with a certified consultant. And I mm -hmm. interviewed them and I realized I had missed so much in creating the program that I went back after shutting the program down and I rebuilt it from scratch Mm -hmm. And launched it about six months later. Right. So you knew you had this great idea, but you had to go back and rethink exactly. it. Exactly. And it's lucky that I was able to do it before it, does, it had caused too much damage. Right. When I did that, and I did it right, I built that group to 350 certified consultants. And those people loved the company and we loved them. 
-hmm. They turned out to become our third largest sales channel. They showed up at every live event we've ever done. It turns mm -hmm. out that they're our best source of beta testing for our software. They, right, because they know it so well. Exactly. They became the most incredible resource to the company that you could ever imagine. Mm -hmm. And later, as the company grew, their presence caused the company to double in value. Wow. So it was with the time that Sage came along and bought the company, I mean, the company was sold based on the value that those certified consultants and of course all the other things we have done uh, mm -hmm. had, had brought to the brought to the table. And it, right. and I I put that chapter behind me after I sold Time Slips Corporation and I went on to do other things. And I'll tell you about some of those other things in a minute. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until 20 plus years later that a client read my blog post and said to me, hey, Mitch, can you do that for me? Mm. And that's when I said, absolutely. Right. And that's when I realized that I can now build them even better than I mm -hmm. did back then. Right. Well, and, and it is about this concept that you have, you know, we, we all talk about our tribe, you know, and, and, and companies have it. They have those people who would rave about you no matter what. And more importantly, they would help other people to do that exactly. or, you know, and, and so you've got this certification program and I love this concept. I mean, it's, it's very cool. So walk us through that. Sure. So really what it comes down to is when I start working with a new client, I ask just three questions and mm -hmm. if they can answer yes to all three questions, then they become a candidate to work with me. Okay. So here's the questions. Number one, do you have a product, a program? a process or a device that causes a transformation or can deliver a high value benefit to your clients. Mm -hmm. And that could be anything that, that right. could be software. That could be a training program. You know, it could be a business program. It could even be a, mm -hmm. a meditation program. Okay. But if they say yes to that, then the second question is, is this process repeatable and can it be taught to others who can then generate the same results? Right. So that means simply that, if, if you can do this amazing thing, can you teach somebody else to do the amazing thing too? Right. If they say yes to that, the third question is, do you have about 800 to 1,000 clients who've already experienced this sort of a transformation? And I'll tell you why I asked that question. Mm -hmm. I asked that question because in the world that we live in, there is a very interesting triangle. And the triangle uh, is built on the base of, of the idea that people try new things in a certain percentage. So what I mean by that is that our society has a group of us called early adapters. Right. I don't know about you, but I'm an early adapter. I am for the most okay, part. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. So we sit at about 2 to 5% at the tip of the top of the triangle. Mm -hmm. So the idea behind asking a customer if they have about 800 to 1,000 clients already is because we know that because the early adapter law will say that 20 to 50 of those people will stand up right away and say, yes, I want to buy your certification program the minute you okay. offer it. So it's, it's kind of that sweet spot of number. Right. Then once we sign those people up and once we make them successful, then their testimonials are what we use to market to the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. So ideally what ends up happening is that now you know what certification costs. I mean, the average certification program is anywhere from five to thirty thousand mm -hmm. dollars. So once a company offers certification certification to their best clients 
at a medium price of say $15,000 and say 20 people join, well, they've just created a thirty, a $300,000 windfall. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens if we can duplicate that every quarter? Oh. Pretty interesting, huh? Right. Well, that's what this whole this certification program is all about. Mm-hmm. We take what I think of as an underutilized asset, your clients, mm-hmm. and we find a way to generate between two and six brand new recurring revenue streams for your company. Right. And I learned how to do this at time slips. Mm-hmm. And I've then perfected it over the course of several client engagements. And now it's to the point when I work with a client and I figure out with them what their ideal business model is, that we can do this in about 10 to 12 weeks. Ah, so not bad. Not not bad at all from start to mm-hmm. finish. Nice. You know, and, 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 you know, you mentioned it's an ongoing revenue stream. You know, now maybe you upgrade your product or service or things like that, but but it is something that, you know, there's always or should be, you know, because that's the key is you need to, to be doing something where there should be an ongoing market. That's right. I mean, you know, that long gone are the days of the people who sold pet rocks <laughs> and, you know, everybody bought their pet rock and then you didn't buy another pet rock. Exactly. Um, you know, and, and but now in, in business you want to create a product that keeps selling. Now, yes, maybe you do have to upgrade it or, you know, make some changes to it as technology change, whatever, but there should always be a continuing growth market for your product or service. Exactly. And by having this group of people connected to your company, you're doing some things that you can't do without them. I mean, you can, Mm -hmm. but they're very expensive. Right. You can, for example, extend your brand deeper into your own market and adjacent Mm -hmm. markets at almost no cost at all. Right. So these folks are out there talking in their local markets to people you'd never reach. Mm-hmm. The other thing about it is that they're reselling your products, whatever they are. And mm-hmm. there's no cost to you for them to resell it. In fact, they're paying you for that privilege. Right. So now you're creating a sales channel. You see? So all of these things start to mount one on top of the other. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, you get them together once a year at a live symposium. And then they're all excited to learn from everybody else. Exactly. And then you can create an ascension plan so that no matter what level they're at, they can ascend to the next mm-hmm. level in your program. Right. And, you know, and, and I want to be clear, we're not talking about a multi-level marketing. Oh, I mean, that's, not. that's far from that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and, you know, in some ways there are, you know, some basic similarities, but this is so much so different from that. Exactly. I mean, let, let's be realistic. I mean, Microsoft wouldn't do it. Intuit wouldn't do it. Uh, I mean, all these companies, salesforce.com do it. Mm-hmm. Lead pages does it. I mean, Building certification programs are how people expand their business in a way that allows them to grow at a rate much faster than they could any other way. Right. right. And that's the same basic idea, except I take it one step further. Mm-hmm. See, whereas other companies that will help a, a group certify their clients, I mean, that's fine. The only problem is, is that I don't just help my company create certification programs. I help my clients create professions for the people that join them. Ah. And that makes a very big difference. Mm -hmm. It does. Yeah. And so ideally what we really want is we want a group of people who we are helping to grow as, as human beings so that they're benefiting themselves and their family by being associated with us. Right. And that's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it can, you know, obviously that continues to grow is, you know, because they get new clients 
who then can potentially become part of this training process. And, and, you know, it's just like the product or service grows that grows also. Exactly. Exactly. And, and so what's nice about it is that my systems now have been endorsed by some very important people and I have some very cool clients. I don't know if you've ever heard of Jay Abraham. Yes. Okay, so, well, Jay is one of my clients and I'm building his mm. certification program right now. So mm -hmm. this is the sort of thing that uh, once people understand it and they understand that there's somebody out there like me who totally gets it and can do it flawlessly and make it work the first time, you know, mm -hmm. this is the type of people that they want to surround themselves with. And that's why I do right. what I do. Well, and of course, there are a lot of companies who think we should do this but they don't know how they can do exactly. this and, and they don't have the resources, that's right. you know, the, the, yes, they know that they should do it, but they don't have the first clue as to what to do. And so that's where you come in. So handy. That's right. And so, so by the way, this, all this, all of that's happening now are the lessons that I learned from time slips and from the customers that I've generated since then. But you know, mm -hmm. what I also want to tell you a little bit about was the time that I spent working with Mr. Tony Robbins. I know. Just just that, you know, that that name alone is like, ooh. Yeah. So tell us more about that. That must have been just absolutely fascinating. It, it, it was amazing. I, and I have to say to this day, by the way, Tony is still one of my clients today. Ah. So I do. I still work with Tony on special mm -hmm. projects for him. But but let me tell you where this all started. So my one of my best friends in the world, Mr. Chet Holmes, unfortunately mm -hmm. passed away. Uh, but before he did. I mean, we had been friends for decades and mm -hmm. he asked me to help him in his business, which I agreed to do. And in a very short period of time, we began negotiation with Tony Robbins to create a new company. Mm -hmm. And this new company was going to contain all of the intellectual property of Chet and his, uh, and his work mm -hmm. and Tony, along with all of his business related, uh, uh, um, intellectual property as well. Right. And this company was called Business Breakthroughs International. Mm -hmm. And we signed an agreement to work with Tony and immediately walked directly into a room in Las Vegas with 500 people in it, announced the program, and then began the training. Oh. So we had set this all up in advance. And on the very morning of, of, of that day where we walked into that auditorium, that's the morning that we literally signed the agreement that launched the company Business Breakthroughs International. Mm -hmm. So after we did that, and those, it turned out to be over 50 hours of recorded material became our video lessons and guidebooks. And with that material, we built the company. And one of the things that we did is we used radio to scale mm -hmm. the company very quickly. Right. Now, radio, most people probably would think that, well, radio is just for big companies and or radio is not working anymore. It's something in the past but nothing could be further from the truth. 90% of the American population are, are touched by radio every single week. Mm -hmm. So radio is still very, very viable and very vibrant as a, a marketing method in this world. Right. And, and that's one of my specialties, the ability to help companies launch their radio campaign ah. and monetize it. And mm -hmm. that's what I'm doing for Tony. So, okay. so the bottom line here is that Tony and I started working together and we started with the with radio campaigns and initially we were only spending, you know, maybe 10 or $15,000 a week. But by the time we reached the point of um, uh, of where we got to the massive dollars that we were generating, we were spending about $135,000 a month on radio generating 
3,000 incoming phone calls every single week. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I got to tell you, it was a lot of fun. Oh, I bet. I mean, we were doing live events. We, we had uh, uh, well over 50 salespeople and over 50 coaches. And, and we had consultants and we had great products. And everything was going so well when mm-hmm. the tides turned uh, one day when I found out that my, my dear friend Chet had, had collapsed on vacation. Oh, no. And they took him to the hospital. And unfortunately, he had stage four leukemia. Oh. So it was, and Tony and I had already spent time working together, but it was really in the last year and a half of the company that we put our heads together and we worked Mm -hmm. closely together. And that's when I came to admire Tony even more. I mean, he is the consummate gentleman, business person. He is hard-nosed in every respect, but he is smart. And Mm -hmm. he he can analyze things faster than anyone I've known. So, So when Tony and I would get on the phone and we would start talking about how to market, how to sell, how to fix problems. It was the most incredible mentoring anyone could ever have. I bet. And I was so lucky and so grateful to have the time with him. And to me, it was a friendship that we began to build that has endured all these years. Mm-hmm. So so working with Tony Robbins is about one of the most incredible gifts I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And the reason I think so is because he is an individual who flies his colors all the time. He is exactly mm-hmm. the way he is, whether he's on stage or he's sitting across from you uh, at dinner. Right. He's, he's just an amazing individual. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's where so many business people uh, kind of fall down is they have a different persona when they're at a networking event or, you know, all these various things. And that comes through. I mean, you know that they're they're not being authentic. And and I tell people, you know, okay, I'll get social media back in here. You have to be authentic to yourself or, you know, when you're posting on social media. Yeah. Because people can tell in a second, you know, that this was not, not what you were thinking and, and not who you are. And does it have some downfalls? Yes. I mean, you know, uh, there's, uh, we're, we're looking back at, you know, say, you know, uh, the, the very, um, a difficult election time yep. and I'm putting that mildly of course sure. where people were posting for one party or the other and and um you know and, and I told people you know you need to realize yes you do have to be authentic to yourself but you might be losing followers but if that's so important to you to post that then you still have to post it exactly you know if that is your passion and it, and it really doesn't matter what it is you know if that really truly is your passion then you have to do that. Um, I was working with a young woman one time and she was still in college. And this was, you know, many years ago. And um, she, her photo on her Facebook page, uh, she had a t-shirt on that said, I am a proud Muslim. And I took her aside. You know, I'd never do this in in class or in front of people. Now, the the whole group was from that region of the the world. But, you know, I didn't want to call her out on this. And I said, now you understand that, there will be some people in this day and age that all they will have to do is see that photo and think, I'm not going to work with you. And her comment was "Then I didn't want to work with them to start with. So she knew that she might be turning people off, but she was still that she was going to be authentic. And that was it. And, you know, and, and I so admired that. And you know something, I, I, again, to tie that back to Tony, uh, Tony does not, um, he, he just puts himself out there. He, he doesn't right. like to be called 
a, you know, a guru. He in fact had a movie that says, I'm not your guru. <laughs> right. So, I mean, he's the type of guy who just simply wants to help people and he does yes. it from the heart every single mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. So that's my best story about Tony. I mean, we could, I could go on and on about the way, Oh, I, bet. I mean, mm -hmm. the time that he took my daughter aside at one thirty in the morning after being on stage for 10 hours and sat and listened to her and talked to her for a half an hour. That was so charming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the guy we're talking about. Right. You know, and, and I think that what we need to learn from that is that that's the way we all need to be. Yep. You know, and, and it doesn't matter what our business is, doesn't matter, even if we're in business, we just need to be that type of, of person. I agree so much. So, so true. Well, listen, I mean, I, I got to tell you, the experience working with Tony and then after I left the organization, um, after Chet had passed away, I had mm -hmm. realized that my time was over. And that's when I wrote the book, The Invisible Organization. Right. So, you know, the way that I found the, the best way for me to resolve the five years I spent working with Chet and Tony was to write that book. And in that mm -hmm. book, I describe how all the lessons I learned about how to create and grow and run a virtual company of over 300 people from a spare bedroom. Right. You know, and, and I love this concept. I haven't um, had the opportunity yet to read the book. I can't wait to. I'm going to you know definitely get it ordered because it is available on Amazon. I'll put the plug in there for you, <laughs> The Invisible Organization. Sure. But you know, so many companies, and I don't care if they're 10 person, 300, 3,000, they are figuring out that virtual is you know so beneficial. So in just the couple minutes we've got left, why should people even consider being virtual? Because you see so many businesses, well, I have to have them in my office to make sure they're working. You know, those type of things. Well, it's a, it's again, it's a funny point to to bring up because I mean, if you look at some of our major airlines today, if you happen to get on the phone with someone from JetBlue, you can surprise mm -hmm. them by saying, "So, how do you like working from home?" Uh -huh. Because they all do. And right. imagine if those people had to show up at a facility, thousands and thousands of people mm -hmm. clogging the highways, burning right. gas and time mm -hmm. just to get to a building to do what they can do just as efficiently right. from right. their from their kitchen table. And there's all those costs of that building. Yep. You know, there's that little word called overhead. Yeah. You know, and and you know, and and so being virtual has so many advantages now. And I love that companies are actually finally figuring out, even if it's just virtual one day a week or something like that, that it really is a great concept. True. But when you embrace it, it's one of the only strategies that absolutely benefits both the company and the employee in mm -hmm. equal, if not greater amounts towards the employee. So again, if you, if you have this conversation with the lady from JetBlue or from Southwest Airlines, and you say, so what's it like working at home? And she tells you, and then listen carefully. You'll find out that, in fact, her and her husband don't need two cars anymore. Right. You know, you find out that she doesn't spend money on gas or commuting. Mm -hmm. You find out. She's able to go to her kids after school program. And walk the dog and eat the way she mm -hmm. likes. And right. all these. And still meet her quota for phone calls. Exactly. Like that. Correct. And then if you go to the CEO and say, well, what, what was the benefit to you? And this individual says, well, what are you talking about? We don't need a parking lot for 2,000 cars. We don't need a mm -hmm. building. We don't pay heat. We don't pay insurance. We don't pay infrastructure. Hey, we don't even buy those people telephones. I mean, it's amazing. Right. Mm -hmm. so, so it's the biggest win-win in the world. And I hope that my book is just that one little way that I can contribute to changing the world. Mm-hmm. 
You know, and, and so many businesses do think, well, they have to be here so I can make sure they work. Well, you know, I'm sorry. They can be sitting in the office screwing around. You know? <laughs> so and and if and if you know if you obviously you have goals, you have all these things to set that they have to meet if they're working from home. Yep. And you know, and, and if they don't meet them, well, then they're gone. Yep. But you know, so it doesn't matter whether it's phone calls or the you know, the work that they're doing, all those various things. There are certainly so many ways to to make sure that they're working. And of course, the cool thing is, like you were saying, they can walk the dog, they can do all those other things, because sometimes it doesn't matter, you know, what they're doing as long as it gets done. So maybe that's 11 o'clock at night or six o'clock in the morning or, you know, all those things. So I think it is something that more and more businesses absolutely have to consider. Exactly. And, and by the way, you know, it's funny, I was on the phone with the client and we were talking about certification and he said, hey, I noticed you wrote that book. What do you think of this idea? And he said, I'm just about to sign a lease on a new building. And he told me all about it. And I said, don't you dare. Right. <laughs> I said, I'm going to overnight you a copy of my book. And mm -hmm. you you start reading it now. It'll take you no more than four right. hours to read the whole book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he did. And he canceled the uh, lease. Mm -hmm. He saved himself $600,000 over the course of five years. Wow. You know, and, and you still might need a physical office. And he has you know, Depending on what the business yep. is. And maybe it has a conference room or, or something like that, but it doesn't have all of that other space. Yep. And more importantly, there's so many organizations now that are cropping up that are office share spaces. Yep. So, you know, there's so many different options to explore and really think about it. You know, do you have to have your employees coming in and sitting at their little desk for eight hours a day or can they be working from home? Well, you know, I'm sure this conversation has incited a bunch of questions in people. And if it's OK with you, I'd like to send them to a place where they can get some answers. Perfect. Go to invisibleorganization.com. OK. And on that website you'll be able to read all about some of the ways that people take their company virtual. There's mm. also a tab up top called the Resource Center. Okay. Well, if you buy the book and you put the, the order number in, you can see what looks like about 25 or 30 different articles on all the cloud-based software systems and services that you could access as a virtual corporation. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Well, Mitch, we are at the top of our hour, so tell people how they find you and connect with you online. Well, absolutely. The, probably the easiest way would be to go to any one of the websites I mentioned during the show, uh, and if you would be so kind as to put them in the show notes, that would be great, sure. too. Uh, but the best way is just to go to my personal website, which is MitchRusso.com. Mm -hmm. Perfect, perfect. Well, this has been so fascinating, and I look forward to the time that we talk again. And until then, everyone have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs> <laughs>